Good morning. Our reading this morning is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Carrie. Good morning, everyone. Do keep that passage open in front of you. or have sight of that passage as we go through it together, as we hear what God is speaking and saying to us this morning. Uh, let's pray uh, together as we begin. Father God, you are the everlasting God. You do not faint or grow weary. And yet, Lord, you have spoken to us and you invite us to, to come and to know you And we praise you for that. What a privilege. Father, we pray you will help us this morning as we uh, hear your word, as we look at it together, as we think it through. Father, please may we know you better. May we grow in our understanding. May we live lives worthy of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wonder what you're um, thankful for at the moment. Or what are your hopes for the future, the start of a new term? For some of us, that means something. For some of us, it doesn't mean anything at all. But for some of us, that means something. And it's a time to kind of look forward and to think about what, what, what are our hopes for the next term or for the next few months. Now, when you ask that question to a child, what are your hopes for the moment, for the future? And compare that with their parents' hopes for the child, you'll probably find a difference. The child is likely to be focused on fairly temporary, fairly superficial things. They might be concerned about uh, getting a new toy or a new piece of equipment or something. They might be concerned about how, they're gonna, how things are going to work out at school. The parents like to have more serious concerns. Are they going to do well at school? Uh, are they going to maintain their health and so on? There's likely to be a difference in their hopes. And I think Paul's letters can be a bit like that because Paul, in the introductions to his letters... He prays for uh, the people that he is writing to. And this is not just a formality. Paul is actually uh, genuinely giving thanks for those that he's writing to. 
and genuinely asking for them according to what his hopes, his concerns for them are. And as an apostle, as as, uh, one of the early Christian leaders, he, he does that with authority. He shows them really what they should be thankful for and what they should be hoping and aiming for. Um, for the future. And so it's helpful for us too when we can look and we can see, well, what are Paul's priorities for the Colossians at this time? It helps us to think through, well, what should our priorities for ourselves be at this time? It helps us to remind us what it is that really matters amidst everything else that's going on. It helps to ground us again. What should our priorities be? What should we be thanking God for at the moment? And what, we should, be, what should we be asking God And Paul's big priority in Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, is that the Colossians uh, are bearing fruit. It just so happens that last week we were looking at uh, the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine. And um, his desire for his disciples is that they bear fruit. And that actually comes up in this passage as well. This idea of bearing fruit comes up both in what Paul thanks God for and also in what he's asking God for. And so what is it that Paul is thanking God for? Well, firstly, he's thanking God that the gospel is bearing fruit. We can thank God that the gospel is bearing fruit in us. You may have seen uh, in the news recently, there was a survey of of clergy. um, And one of the the results of that survey was that the majority of them think that Britain is no longer uh, a Christian country. I'm not really sure why that was surprising or newsworthy. I think that's been the case for a while, hasn't it? Britain is not, cannot really call itself a Christian country. We've seen the fall in the number of people who are professing faith, who say that they're Christians. Every time there's a survey, that number goes down. We've seen um, church attendance on the decline in, in uh, certain churches. And we've seen that, that secularism and secular views seem to be very much on the rise and more and more prevalent. And uh, it can feel harder, can't it, to be a Christian in this country. But the gospel is still being preached, and the gospel is bearing fruit. The good news that that Jesus is God's king, and that he has come, and come to save us. And that news is not just for those who are are Jewish, but actually for all people, for all of us, for the majority of us who I assume are not uh, of a Jewish background. This news is for all. And that good news is being preached, and it is bearing fruit. And in verses 6 and 7, Paul tells us three things about this gospel, this good news. He says that actually it's bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, verse 6. Indeed, in the whole world, it's bearing fruit and growing. Now, Paul is writing this in the first century AD, in the very early days of Christianity. There's an element of exaggeration, of hyperbole in what he's saying. But the point that he's making is that it is not just stuck in Jerusalem, this good news. It's not just something that's being spread around Jerusalem, or, or even a bit further into, more, uh, into Judea and the other areas where there are lots of Jews. But actually, this gospel, this good news has been preached, and it's gone out into the Gentile world as well, into various different parts of the Roman Empire, North Africa, Turkey, um, and beginning to make its way into Europe. And wherever the gospel has gone, it has borne fruit. Wherever the gospel has been preached, people have been saved, churches have been formed. The gospel, the good news, is bearing fruit and growing. And that's true Today, how much more is that true today for us? We might get discouraged by the situation we see in our country, but all over the world, the gospel is being preached 
and it's bearing fruit. Christianity is a growing religion. Tens of thousands of people are becoming Christians, giving their lives to the Lord every single day. It's thought that in um, Africa, at the, the beginning of the 20th century, the, the percentage of people who were Christian was about 1%. And today it's closer to 50%. And it's growing. And it's growing in Asia. And it's growing in South America. The gospel is bearing fruit. We can be encouraged by that. This gospel that we've come to believe is going out throughout the world and it is bearing fruit. And even in this country, it is still bearing fruit. God is still at work, still calling people to himself. This is a good news that's bearing fruit. But Paul also tells us in verse 7, it's a good news that's been preached by a faithful minister. Paul himself has not actually met the Colossians. He sent one of his, his colleagues, one of his assistants to the Colossi, who, uh, and this man Epaphras has gone and preached the good news to them. Uh, and that's what's resulted in this church forming in Colossi. Paul himself hasn't met them. But he reminds them in verse 7 that they've learned this gospel from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made, made known to us your love in the Spirit. Paul is reminding them and encouraging them that the good news that they've heard is bearing fruit throughout the whole world, but it also has come to them from a faithful gospel minister. And again, how much more is is that true from us? We have not just heard the gospel, the good news from one person. We've not just heard it preached from one individual as the Colossians had. We've heard it preached from countless individuals, many, many individuals who have taught that good news to us, whether through actual preaching in in church and in sermons, or or whether through books that have been written by those who are still alive today, or even those who have died centuries ago who are still preaching faithfully through the works that they left behind. We've heard the gospel from many, many different sources, many, many faithful ministers. And of course it's true that not all ministers are faithful and some turn out to have been unfaithful in different ways, but the vast majority are. We're very privileged And how many faithful ministers we've heard the gospel from. We can have confidence in it for that reason. But thirdly, Paul says, this gospel, it's bearing fruit and growing in the whole world. It's preached to them by a faithful minister. But his his big reason for giving praise, his big reason for giving thanks, is that the gospel is bearing fruit among them. Verse 6, he talks about the gospel bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you. He is giving thanks to God because the, the gospel is bearing fruits amongst the Colossians. Now, how does he know that? What is it that he has heard about the Colossians that makes him think that the gospel is bearing fruit? What are the signs that God is at work, that, that someone has been saved, that the gospel is working amongst a group of people? Well, Paul actually gives three signs in verses 3 to 5 of that. Three things he particularly thanks God for. And these are three things, faith, love, and hope. Things that that Paul often mentions actually together. He mentions them in Corinthians. He mentions them in Thessalonians. Again, as signs of the, uh, the gospel at work in the lives of the Thessalonians. Faith, hope, and love. He thanks God firstly for their faith. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith. In Christ Jesus. Faith in Christ Jesus is the, the obvious sign that the gospel has had an impact, that the gospel is at work, that God is doing something amongst people. When people turn and they believe the good news about Jesus King, that Jesus God's King, and that Jesus has come to save someone, it's the first time that someone has become a Christian. Do we see that sign amongst ourselves? 
Do we see that sign in ourselves? Do we know and believe and trust in the truth? Of course, we can get confused sometimes about faith. Um, I mentioned uh, a while ago uh, um, an illustration about glass panels in a high building. Um, And it turns out there's lots of different applications of that illustration, so I'm going to use it again. And as it happens, just last week, I took my kids up Tower Bridge. And you can go up Tower Bridge, up the towers on either side. You can walk along the walkways that connect the two towers together. And in the middle of the floor of those walkways, there are big glass panels on the floor so that you can see right down to the bridge below, to the cars and to the, the people walking past, and also right down to the river rushing underneath the bridge, and you can walk across those panels. Now, I've done this before, so um, it wasn't a new thing for me, but I, I, I'm not sure what was wrong with me, but for some reason it took me an awful lot of effort <laughs> to get my feet onto those panels. And um, normally what I like to do on these panels is I like to just give a little jump. But um, <laughs> I stood there and I thought, this just seems the most ridiculously foolish thing to do. I'm going to go crashing through. I mean, I did manage to do it. But it took a lot of effort. And as I walked across, it just felt like every step, I was kind of stepping off the edge of a cliff, like stepping into thin air. I don't know what was wrong with me. And it, and it kind of felt, it might have seemed like I didn't really have faith in those glass panels. But actually, that's not the case. How do you tell whether someone has faith in those glass panels or not? How can you tell the difference between those that have faith in those panels and those that don't? Well, the people edging round the edge and keeping looking up They're the ones that don't have faith in the glass panels. The people who are stood on the glass panels, even if their knees are trembling and they've gone all pale, the fact that they're stood there shows that they have faith. They wouldn't stand there if they didn't think the panel was going to hold them up. You see, it's not how you feel. It's where you're standing. That shows uh, whether you have faith or not. And it's the same for us as as believers in Jesus Christ. Faith in Christ Jesus is not necessarily about how you're feeling at any particular moment. It's where you're standing. All of us will be feeling different things this morning. Some of us may be, may be feeling confident and bold and assured, and that's great. Some of us may be feeling doubtful and worried and depressed. We can all be feeling different things, but it's not how you are feeling at this particular moment. Where are you standing? Have you believed in Jesus? Have you given your life to him? Are you committed to following him? then that's where you're standing. You're standing on him. That is faith. And when we see that sign in ourselves, we see, yes, I have decided to follow Jesus. I've trusted him. I'm believing him. I'm standing on him even though my knees are wobbling and my face is pale. Well, then I know I have faith in Christ Jesus. I know that a miracle has taken place. The gospel has been at work in my heart. The gospel has been preached to me. The Holy Spirit has been at work. I have faith in in Christ Jesus. And when we see that in one another, we see it in ourselves, that is an enormous reason to give thanks to God for what he has done. Faith in Christ Jesus. But secondly, Paul uh, mentions love. Love for all the saints. The love that you have for all the saints. The word saints there, it means holy ones. But it's not talking about a, a kind of small group of particular elite Christians. The holy ones, the saints, are all Christians. Paul says in his introduction, he says he's writing this letter to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. And that's not two different groups, the saints and the faithful brothers. It's the same group. And of course, the word brothers there is is meant in a gender-neutral sense. It means siblings. It means brothers and sisters. 
The saints are the brothers and sisters. The saints are the Christians who meet together in Colossae. It's all of us who trust in Jesus. But because they are brothers and sisters, having believed in Jesus, they are brothers and sisters, there is a family love that comes from following Jesus, a family love for one another that is a second sign that someone has believed, a love for others. And whenever we see that love, that affinity amongst ourselves, we're a group of people who in many ways don't have a lot else in common. We may find there are others who we have very little in common with. But we believe in Christ and for that reason we love one another. And actually, because we believe in Christ, because that's the most important thing, we have more in common with one another than we do with the people that we see the rest of the week. And that breeds a family love. And so when we see that love, and we do see that love an awful lot in Emmanuel, it's a, it's a wonderful blessing in this church that we have that family love. When we see that love, it's a great thing to be giving thanks for. The gospel is at work. God is at work amongst us. Praise the Lord. But thirdly, there is hope, verse 5. This faith and love come because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Christians are people of hope, people who know that um, there is an inheritance for us, that there is a future for us that is guaranteed, guaranteed by God. And that hope fuels how we live now. We are able to love one another because of that hope that comes. We are able to be generous and sacrificial with our time and with our money because we know we have this great hope for the future, that what happens in the present is less important. We have that hope for the future because we know we have that hope to come. So we have faith, love, and hope. Do we see these signs amongst us? When we see these signs amongst us, we can give thanks that the gospel is bearing fruit amongst us. And if Paul gives thanks for these things always, verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Paul gives thanks for these things uh, always. He's showing that they are really important. These are things that we should be looking out for and praising God and thanking God for. Give thanks for this fruit amongst ourselves. Give thanks for this fruit when we see it in others. Thank God that the gospel is bearing fruit in us. But secondly, Paul goes on to ask. He goes on to ask God uh, that the Colossians will bear more fruit. And we need to ask God that we will bear even more fruit. We can tend to see it as a bad thing to be always asking for more. Um, and that can often be the case. There are times when we just need to be content. But when it comes to growing in our faith... We can never be content until the day Jesus returns and we're made perfect. We need to always be asking God for more. And Paul's purpose for the Colossians, his purpose in writing this letter, his desire for them is that they're going to grow into maturity, into perfection. He says that in chapter 1, verse 28. He says, Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And it's also Epaphras' aim for them, because in chapter 4, verse 12, Paul speaks of Epaphras. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So Paul's prayer and all his efforts are geared towards presenting the Colossians mature on that final day, 
And Epaphras is struggling in his prayers. Do you ever struggle in your prayers? Epaphras does too. But he's struggling in his prayers, keeping going for the Colossians, that they may be mature, that they may reach perfection. So we need to ask God that we will bear more fruit. There are three things in particular that Paul asked God for in this passage. Firstly, in verse 9, he asks, he prays for knowledge. So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. To grow as Christians, we need to grow in our knowledge, in our spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is not just academic head knowledge, just knowing facts, but it's actually the wisdom of actually being able to put this into practice, of actually believing it, trusting it, loving God more through what we know, what we learn. And putting it into practice. Growing in understanding of Jesus and of the gospel. And there's a purpose for it. Um, Paul says in verse 10. He wants them to, to have this knowledge. To grow in this knowledge. So as to walk. That is to live. In a manner worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. As we grow in the knowledge of God's will. As we grow in our understanding. Our spiritual wisdom. We learn how to live uh, in a way that is worthy of Jesus. It's worthy of what Jesus has done for us. A way that is fully pleasing to him. Isn't that, isn't that our desire? That we might live in a way that is pleasing to Christ. We know, of course, that we are forgiven. We know that we have Christ's righteousness. We know that, in that sense, we are always pleasing to him. But don't we want every day to live in a way? Today, Lord, I want to live in a way that will be pleasing to you. Well, we need to ask God for the knowledge, the spiritual wisdom, the understanding that will enable us to do that. And as we do that, we will be bearing fruit in every good work. And strangely enough, as we do that, as we live lives that are worthy of the Lord and we bear fruit in every good work, we increase in the knowledge of God. Paul says at the end of verse 10, increasing knowledge of God. It sounds like a bit of a circle, doesn't it? We need to grow in knowledge so that we can increase in the knowledge of God. But actually, it's more like a spiral. The more we know, the more we grow in our knowledge and our understanding, the more we are able to live lives that are worthy of the Lord, that are fully pleasing to him, the more we do that, the more we will grow even more in our knowledge of God. And so on. It's a, it's a virtuous circle. It's a spiral. So we need to pray. Pray for knowledge. But also, Paul prays. He prays for power, verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. We need power to keep living for Jesus, to keep going. We need to be strengthened with with God's power, with God's glorious might. And we need that for endurance and patience. Endurance is what we need to keep going in difficult situations. Colossians is a very realistic book about what life will be like as we follow Jesus. It will be hard. It will take endurance. And in order to endure, we're going to need power. We're going to need strength. We need the glorious might of God. And so we need to pray for that and ask God for that power. We need patience for keeping going with difficult people. Patience is a a relational word. So endurance is about situations. Patience is about people that we'll find difficult. And again, um, Colossians is realistic about what life will be like. 
it's not clear here uh, in this section which, who exactly we need patience with. Is it people in the church? Is it people outside the church? But in Colossians 3, um, Paul encourages us as God-chosen people to, um, to put on humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Why do we need to be patient with one another in church? Why do we need to bear with one another, to put up with one another? Why do we need to forgive one another? Well, because it's going to be tough sometimes. We're going to find that difficult. It's not always going to be easy. Loving one another, that natural love that we have as Christians, doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. We need patience. And to have patience, we need power. We need the power, the might of God. We need to ask God for power. And we particularly need to ask God for power because we don't just want to be doing these things, enduring and having patience with gritted teeth, just getting through. No, Paul said, Paul, Paul's prayer for the Colossians is that they will have all endurance and patience with joy. That will be able to face difficult situations, that will be able to face difficult people with joy. Not losing the joy that comes from knowing Jesus. And trusting in Christ. And so we really, if we're to do that, we really need help. We really need strength to be strengthened. We really need the power of God. And so we need to pray, pray for power. But thirdly, Paul prays for thankfulness. Uh, Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Um, This is a repeated emphasis in the book of Colossians. Paul has already uh, thanked God for the Colossians. He then prays that the Colossians will be thankful themselves, that they'll give thanks. And then he goes on in the letter five times to command them to be thankful. Um, And thankfulness is something that's actually good for us. This is something that has been discovered relatively recently in, in studies that thankfulness is actually very good for us. It has lots of positive health benefits. And so it's something that's, that's encouraged. People are encouraged to be thankful. Um, people are encouraged to, to um, keep gratitude journals, keep records of what you're grateful for. It's a good thing to do. The world recently has caught up with what the Bible was saying 2,000 years ago. Be thankful. But for us as Christians, we should be much better at this than the world around us. We should get much more benefit from this than the world around us. For two reasons. Firstly, because we know who we're being thankful to. The world is encouraging a kind of a general attitude of thankfulness, and that's beneficial. But how much better to be able to give thanks to the one who has given us everything that we have. We're giving thanks to God. And we do that not just because it's good for us, but because it's the right thing to do when God has given us so much. It's right to thank him. And we... um, so we know who we're giving thanks to, but also we, can give, we, we, we should be better at this because we've got so much more to give thanks to God for. We've got the, the regular things that everyone else gives thanks for. You might think to yourself, I'm not really sure what to give thanks for at the moment. But let me ask you, if you had 10 minutes, if you were given 10 minutes to write down everything in your life that you're thankful for, and anything that you don't write down will be taken away from you at the end of 10 minutes, how would you respond? Would you think, well, that's easy because I've only got three things to write down. I don't need 10 minutes to do this. No, you wouldn't, would you? You panic. <laughs> you panic because you think, goodness me, there's so much. 10 minutes isn't enough. How am I going to write it down in time? I'm bound to forget something really important. We've got so much to be thankful for. 
If, and, and if 10 minutes isn't enough to give thanks, then it shouldn't be that hard for us to spend five minutes praising God and thanking him for just the ordinary things of life. And yet we've got even more than that to give thanks for, haven't we, as Christians? And Paul mentions a number of things here. In verse 12, he talks about how the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. This is Exodus language. He did Exodus just before the summer. Uh, How God called his people out of Egypt. He rescued them. He redeemed them. And he gave them an inheritance in the land, in the promised land. Each of them would have their place in the promised land. And that idea of the inheritance came, it was more than just about that particular plot of land. It was pointing forward to the grand eternal inheritance that God had planned for his people, the eternal life uh, on the earth and a new creation. But the problem is, for us, if we're not of Jewish heritage, is that that was for the Israelites. And therefore, we're not qualified. If we're not Israelites, we're not qualified to share in that. But we can give thanks to God because he has qualified you. You who were were outside of his people, you who were lost without hope in God and the world, he has qualified you to be one of his people, to share with his people in that inheritance with the saints in light. We have that eternal hope. We can give thanks. And we can give thanks because, verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of God. Of his beloved son. Our natural state before we trusted in Jesus was that we were part of that domain of darkness without, without God, without hope in the world. And God has delivered us from that. He saved us from that. He has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, of Jesus Christ, so that we can um, belong to him, so that we have that hope. And then thirdly, Paul says, in whom, verse 14, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Redemption is about, uh, it comes from the slave market, the, the idea comes from the slave market, it's about uh, paying the price to release a slave and to free them. And in Jesus, we have redemption. We've been, uh, he has paid the price to release us from sin and from the consequences of sin, from slavery to sin. He has freed us and he's given us the forgiveness of sins. Our sin is nailed to the cross It's done with, it's dealt with, we bear it no more. We have so much to be thankful for. So ask God that we will bear much fruit. Ask God that we will be thankful. We can find that hard sometimes. Let's ask God for his help that we will be a thankful people. So whether this start of a new term means anything to you or not, as you look to the next few months, Colossians is calling us to reflect to give thanks and to pray. Paul is showing us what really matters here. Let's give thanks that the gospel is bearing fruit amongst us. Let's give thanks for the work that God has done in in our own lives, in the lives of one another. Let's give thanks whenever we see that sign of the gospel being at work in the lives of others. And let's ask. Let's ask that we will bear more fruit. Let's ask that we will grow in our knowledge, that we will have power, that we will be thankful. Let's ask that for ourselves as individuals, as a church. Let's ask that for others as we pray for them as well. Let's pray together now. Father God, we do thank you and we do praise you for the work that you've done in our lives. We thank you that you have delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of your son. We thank you for the eternal hope that we have. And we thank you, Lord, for those signs that we see amongst us of faith and love and hope, showing that we belong to you. 
We praise you for these things. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you will give us more. Father, please, may we grow. May we grow in our understanding. May we grow in our understanding so that we live lives that are fully pleasing to you, that we're bearing much fruit in every good work. Will you give us power, Father, when it's hard? Will you strengthen us with your might when we face difficult situations or difficult people? And Father, will you make us a thankful people? Father, keep us ever looking for for the everyday things that we should be thanking you for that come from your hand. And keep us ever rejoicing in what you've done for us in Jesus and in the gospel. We ask these things in his name. Amen.